0: Hello and welcome to the Living Life Differently podcast. We are the Mahojo's, I'm Ali. And I'm Amy and we live in a static caravan on a farm in South Wales with our son Ollie and our dog Dizzy. We're currently on a year off together waiting patiently to get going on a European campervan adventure. In the meantime we've set up this podcast to share stories of women who are living life differently, women who are doing things different to the norm. So if you're feeling a little stuck in life or need confidence to make some big changes then keep listening as we've got some great guests for you. In this episode we speak with Helen Dainty, she is 50,000 kilometres into her life as a full-time global cycling hobo. Helen is currently in North Macedonia waiting out the pandemic before cycling further afield, so where is she off to next? Where has she been? Keep listening to find out. Hi, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome to the show today a lady called Helen Dainty, who describes herself as a full-time global hobo cycling the world on a 100 Australian dollars a week. Welcome to Living Life Differently, Helen. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Um, We've come across each other before, haven't we? So so we're not strangers as such. We met um, a couple of years ago when we hosted you on one of your cycle journeys. Um, Uh But before we get into that, Tell us a bit about
1: who you are, how old you are, where you're from, and, and where you're calling from at the moment. Online presence is Hells on Wheels. I am 42. I am from variously Australia and the UK, depending on the uh, depending on the question. And I'm co- I'm talking to you from North Macedonia.
0: Before we get into Macedonia and how you got there, because that that's quite an adventure in itself.
1: Yep. Um, were you originally born in Australia? Then I, no. I assume you got family. No, no, I was born in the UK, but I left the UK in two thousand and four, and I've been living, working, traveling overseas ever since then. So, even though. You know, I still put milk in my tea. I like, I really don't know much about like British politics and the current like zeitgeist there. I know much more about Australia sort of culturally these days. I see. So, 2004, heading
0: off to Australia, was that part of your kind of packing up and moving off to to do different things there? How old were you at that time? No. So,
1: in in 2004, I was 26, and this was just supposed to be my, you know, I was a bit late doing the, you know, the round the world one year round the world trip, year off. And I set off thinking that it was going to be the normal year off and then I would come home and, you know, be, inadverted commas, uh, normal, you know, get married, have a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera, probably <laughs> babies. Um, but then something something clicked, something changed during that year. And I decided that that was the life for me. And so the year's travel never really ended
0: that's absolutely fantastic so since since 2004 since your year off headed off to Australia have you been pretty much on the road since then doing different things yeah uh
1: yeah I worked out that yeah that was the last time I sort of had a um a place of my own really I've been basically living out of a backpack sort of since then um yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I've I've been very fortunate in the job I had. It was a travel related job. So um, in Australia, so I was able to I didn't have to have a fixed location there and work paid for me to travel around the country. So, yeah, all that time I've been I worked in Korea as well um, in South Korea. So all of that time I've been living out of a backpack I did oh, or a camper van. And I did. I bought a flat in Sydney in which I lived in for six months, which was the legal requirement before you can then rent it out. So that was I've lived for six months in Sydney. And that's the only place that I've lived in the last 17 years, I think. That's pretty good going, isn't it?
0: And because one of the things I was going to ask you about is um, how you describe yourself on, on your Facebook page, the full-time global, sorry, full-time global hobo cycling in yeah. the world, which I think is probably one of the best personal descriptions I've ever come across. Oh, but for you, you <laughs> that's okay. For you, that has been your life. You have been a global hobo. Um, the cycling bit is the bit... That obviously brought us together when you were on a journey um, and you came via Wales. But before we get to that, then I'm interested to know so that the the Australia kind of gap year and and the travel, where did you kind of go to then and where did the cycling part of your life start?
1: Well, so the round the world trip, that wasn't actually what brought me to Australia in the first place. In fact, when I visited Australia on the round the world trip, I, I took a quick look around for six weeks and decided it was a nice place, but that I wouldn't want to live there. And then <laughs> circumstances changed. And a few years later, I found myself living there. Um, so I did the round the world trip and then I came back from that and immediately knew that I wanted to be away. But I'd also run out of money. So I needed a sort of a, a working overseas job so I could feel like I was travelling but also in some money. So that's how I wound up teaching English in Korea. And then I did a bit more traveling and then I moved to Australia and then I did a bit more traveling and the bicycle thing happened because I generally work for a couple of years and then travel for a year or so. And um, I'd been working for a couple of years and I was ready to have another adventure, but I wasn't able to leave the country without jeopardizing my citizenship application. So I knew I had to have an adventure in Australia and I'd already driven around it in a camper van by that stage. So I began to wonder, there were some places that I hadn't been able to see uh, in the van and I couldn't afford a four wheel drive. So I was wondering if you could reach those places by bicycle. You know, some of them were, you know, down like epic dirt roads and in the middle of the desert. Um, so I wasn't really very hopeful, but I did some Googling. It turns out you absolutely can cycle. Um, it seems ridiculous to say it now, but I didn't know at the time. Yeah, you can cycle um along dirt roads and into the desert. So that's what I did.
0: Absolutely brilliant. It sounds like um you had quite a gung-ho way of life and and you know literally just followed your nose and followed your your dream to travel and work and and live that lifestyle quite early on.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, even though as I say I took that that year out was was you know quite late. A lot of people do that, you know, when they're 18 or 21. So I did I did take to it quite late, but once I once I found myself traveling, I knew absolutely that that was the thing for me. In
0: terms of, you know, at that age, you know, 26, 27, I guess, uh, what, what was the reaction from friends and family in terms of, you know, you coming back and saying, or just doing, you know, going off and traveling again? Did did you find that there was a, a bit of an expectation from others that, that they kind of wanted you or expected you to stay in the UK, settle down, you know, job, mortgage, blah, blah, blah? I don't remember
1: that being the case I've been very like my parents brought brought me and my brothers up fantastically my dad likes to say that he brought us up to have roots and wings so they took us on like overseas holidays whenever they could afford it and you know or like school trips overseas so I was always I was very fortunate to have been brought up with with sort of travel and holidays in my life um so I don't think they were very surprised that I wanted to travel more and I mean even these days they just sort of I mean obviously they're very used to it now but I don't no, I don't remember any resistance
0: that's really positive roots and wings is a great analogy yeah so I guess the main motivation that led to the the way of living that you're living now and have been since 2004 it sounds like it was the the kind of the thrill of adventure travel meeting new people going to new places is that would you kind of sum it up in that way
1: Yeah definitely maybe I just have a short attention span but I just I like that my one of my favorite 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 things in the world is is the first day in a new country. Bill Bryson expresses it really well that I won't I won't try and um, quote him but just that feeling of like not being able to read anything or knowing how the (laughs) bus system works or what the food is that you're eating just like or if the ATM why doesn't the ATM work and so just having to Maybe maybe it's just the challenge, like these sort of small scale challenges of trying to just work out how to be in different scenarios. Maybe. I,
0: I guess for some people, you know, the way you describe that, it might strike huge fear into people you know you're you're (laughs) you're, you have you have been and and continue to travel to countries where no doubt you don't know the language and can read the signs but you're still going headlong into that do you you remember a a fear in the beginning when you went to your first country that maybe challenged you
1: oh my gosh (laughs) before I before I got on that first airplane I was having dreams that I somehow got onto the wrong plane and I ended up I mean I understand that you can't get onto the wrong plane now, but at the time I, I was living in fear that I would end up on the wrong plane. Oh, and I was also really, really afraid that I wouldn't talk to anybody for a year because I was so painfully shy. I thought that I would just be alone for 12 months, whereas in reality, especially in certain parts of Asia, like it, it is impossible to be on your own, and people always want to talk to you, and you can't get a minute's peace. So, um, yeah, they were the fears that I was going to get on the wrong plane and that I would have nobody to talk to for a year. <laughs> where
0: it's was madness. that going to what what country were you going to do you remember
1: yeah it was um so the round the world t- ticket it it dropped me in um in new york for a couple of nights la for a couple of nights before going to new zealand and and was it new zealand that you were fearful of not speaking to anybody D- the whole the whole year i thought right. i didn't talk to somebody for whole year. <laughs> but then actually on my first day in the hostel in new york i was writing in my journal not you know making a lot of effort to talk to anybody because I was too shy and then a guy came over from the hostel and was chatting to me and I just I remember it like a a, a wave of relief thinking oh maybe maybe I am gonna talk to some people so that was a it, I mean just these trivial things but that was a big relief at the time
0: oh that, I don't
1: they... recognize myself when I, I haven't thought about this and to describe this person <laughs> does not sound like I'm describing myself at all it sounds just completely foreign.
0: That That's really interesting so would you describe yourself as shy now or introverted or do you think that yeah. the lifestyle you, that you've led you you do still describe yourself in that way?
1: Yeah 100% but I just I've learned how to manage it better I suppose.
0: How, how do you do that do you think what practical things do you do or, or you know you've mentioned already you, you tend to you've thrown yourself into some challenges so is it about that is it about just pushing your comfort zone every day
1: I, I um I'm not terrific at meeting people and this is probably why I, I travel solo um because it takes me a long time to be comfortable around people um so even now and I'm sure we'll get onto this but in Macedonia I've been so warmly welcomed but at the time I was like super resistant and I just wanted I was happier to just be on my own and but um, because of the nature the lovely lovely nature of the people around me I've been sort of forced into society here um so it's sort of I resist it but um but society society always beats me and I was yeah I'm just slow I'm slow to come around to to sort of engaging with people on the deeper level I I totally
0: understand that. I relate to being a a bit shy and introverted myself. So I, I, you know, some of the situations you're describing, I can totally empathise with. So I'm with you on that one. So just going back to um, doing that research for where you could take your bike and going into deserts and things like that. What was your first long distance bike ride that you can remember doing?
1: Again, this is ridiculous, but my first my first bike ride was around Australia through three different deserts. If you don't count, I did I did a practice run of a single night away. So cycle out for a day, camp, cycle back for a day. And then after that, I set out for what was going to be about a year cycling around Australia, which is not, again, the best preparation perhaps. But um, fortunately, I and I bought like a mega expensive bicycle as well, because I didn't know how bikes worked. So I just wanted to have a bike that wouldn't let me down. So um, I bought this super expensive bike because I just was very very confident that this was the thing for me unfortunately it was so the super expensive bike served you well I assume uh yes yeah very much
0: but how about your preparation then did how did you prepare did you get yourself super fit or did you just jump on the fancy bike and set off and see what happened
1: No, I had to learn how to use the cleats, you know the clipping pedals <laughs> yeah. and I had lots of several you know comical falling off events during that process and yeah, just just general cycling and getting my bike fitness ready, getting my bum ready for sitting on a saddle for like six or eight hours a day, so I put a lot a lot of preparation in that that first time around. How long were you on the road then cycling around Australia? That trip was about nine months I think I think it was going to be longer and then I was cycling with a boyfriend at the time and he he decided to quit the trips and go home and so I revised my route a little bit so uh, it ended up being a little bit shorter than the initial intention but actually as with many things that aren't in your control and you're forced to change um, I had the most fantastic time because it meant that I was Doing these colossal challenges all alone, which gave me this new incredible confidence, and I also didn't have to worry about minding somebody else's well-being and mental health. I just, I only had to make sure that I was okay. So it actually, it worked out very well. I guess there some of the advantages of of
0: doing adventures like that on your own, aren't aren't they? In terms of you, you've only got yourself to worry about, nobody else. But I guess on the flip side as well, that there, there are some downsides. Do you think?
1: to doing a trip on your own yeah um yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess but I think the the positives outweigh the negatives in in my in my opinion in my experience sometimes I do wish that there was somebody there but overwhelmingly I really enjoy doing exactly what I want to do with no compromise not having to ask somebody else where they want to stop for the night or how many kilometres they want to do. Like, I like like the complete freedom and control of my own decisions more than I miss having somebody with me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Have you cycled with many other people, apart from the the boyfriend that you had at the time, or have you generally cycled solo on your trips?
1: A a couple of times. um, I cycled, um, I had a host from Italy uh, who I cycled with in 2019 between Latvia and the UK. And also, I um, I met a guy in Australia when I was going down my first ever dirt road, which is going to be like two weeks worth of sort of very, very off-grid cycling. And i would never done anything like it before. And so I was very nervous. I'd gone on a Facebook forum, met a guy um, that was going a similar way. So um, setting off with him gave me the courage to tackle this sort of epic it's called the Gibb River Road um so I cycled with him he actually he decided after two or three days that actually it was far too hard and he decided it wasn't for him so he hitchhiked out but then I um, I met up with him again in Sicily a couple of years later he was out on a trip going the opposite direction he was going north to south I was going south to north at the time but we were able to cycle together for a little bit then as well Brilliant. It it sounds like there's uh, these guys
0: can't hack it, obviously. They just don't make them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't found somebody to keep up with me yet. I'm looking. I haven't found it yet. Brilliant.
0: So after this incredible cycle around Australia and through various deserts, when you get to the end of that journey after nine months, what happens then? Do you think, You know what, Australia was great,
1: but I fancy getting on my bike to go somewhere else. I think that was always the intention. I think I very, very quickly knew, even within the first week or two of that Australia trip, I knew that that was the way I was going to travel. Like before that, I traveled in a camper van, I traveled, you know, by bus and train and so on. But I very quickly realized that cycling was what I was going to do going forward. I can't imagine returning to, you know, backpacking on a bus anymore so that australia cycle ride wh-
0: when did that end what year would that have been about
1: that was
0: uh 2016 okay so there's a, a jump then from between 2004 to 2016 but but that was your biggest um or your first long distance cycle journey was it
1: that's yeah that's when i switched from you know standard sort of backpacking trips to bike touring Okay, so we met two years later.
0: Then um, mm-hmm. we're living in South Wales, which is where we lived at the time. And you pinged a message to us on the Warm Showers website, which, if people yes. don't know, is a, a website that connects um, cyclists with hosts and vice versa, so cyclists can have a uh, a warm and friendly place to stay when they're on their travels. So you came to stay with us in South Wales. Where can you remember where you'd come from? Up
1: to I that was. I was doing a loop of the UK. And again, this is testament to my lack of preparation. I'd been out of the UK for long enough that I'd forgotten how cold March could be (laughs) and how hilly the United Kingdom was, because Australia is essentially flat. And so you can cycle 80 or 100 kilometres a day. And there's maybe not, you know, cultural things to see every 10 kilometres like there perhaps is in the UK. So I'd completely, yeah, just underestimated my range. But yeah, I arrived with you during the big snowstorm in 2018 thank goodness for warm showers hosts because that that winter that spring in in wales was diabolical so thank you again for for giving me a place to stay outside of the snow
0: yeah, it was great to see you. And um, and we were so excited about your journey. Obviously, we were really inspired by the loop that you were planning to do, but also where you'd been on your previous cycle of ventures. And it was the beast from the east, wasn't it, that hit the UK? <laughs> yeah. So all yep. that eastern arctic weather snow you name it everything mm-hmm. was thrown at you and I, I think it just was just on its way just as you were or it was catching up to wales just as you were leaving and we remember thinking oh my goodness you're heading down west wales <laughs> the snow's gonna be <laughs> on your thinking? back but oh my <laughs> but at the same time we were also thinking wow what a great adventure how is she gonna navigate these blizzards and all sorts oh, of geez. things but you know i you, i think you did have to um Kind of replan your journey a little bit, didn't you? With the with the weather, I did.
1: I well, I, yeah, I totally. All that the weather and and the hilliness of the UK, I to, I think I thought I was going to cycle around Wales in the same time, not Wales, um, Ireland in the same time frame, and I had to completely drop where, um, I Ireland from my itinerary because I just didn't have the capacity to do that many kilometres on on those sort of Welsh and Scottish and Irish hills. But um, yeah, that's that was a lesson in having to you know adapt. Adapt as I go.
0: And do you think that's one of the key things about living the lifestyle you lead as a as a kind of cycling hobo that that adaptability is is absolutely essential?
1: Um, I it's um it's not natural to me. Excuse me. It's not natural to me at all. But um, circumstances, the weather that year, COVID this year. Um, my natural state is to plan meticulously. I, I still have now in my phone my exact itinerary for 2020. How many kilometers in each country, the date I needed to arrive and depart each country. It was all meticulously planned. And went in in the toilet about March or April of last year. So last year, COVID year has taught me um, to relax and to sort of go with the flow and to be adaptable. So in answer to your question, do I think it's essential? ordinarily no i i in normal circumstances i think planning planning is how i like to do it but sometimes situations are forced on you and yeah you need to you need to find a way to adapt
0: i, I find that really interesting because i'm a natural planner as well and when i did um cycle ride to Chamonix, I'll vouch for this as well it's a an excel spreadsheet for everything everything detailed down to the the last kind of kilometer um sounds right and yeah yeah and then when things kind of spanners come in the works and stuff you're kind of forced to be adaptable aren't you rather than naturally wanting to stay stick to plans so that UK trip um did it kind of end or you know did did it kind of come to an end and you think right next plan I'm off to xyz country
1: no the reason that i was in europe that year was i had a friend getting married in italy and ordinarily if she'd been married a year or two later i would have cycled from australia to italy but because of the time frame i didn't have the chance to do that so instead i flew to the uk um i had a bit of time to spare before i needed to get to italy so that's what i was doing cycling around the coast of the uk because obviously it was my my home country and there's so many places like iconic places like I don't know Brighton Pier or Bognor Regis and like the places <laughs> that I'd heard of that I'd never been to before um Blackpool so I thought well I'll take a trip around the UK coastline and a sort of I mean I did visit Land's End and John Groats, although not the direct route that you would normally expect so it was um that was a way of me feeling like sort of three months before then I continued through France into Italy to go to the wedding. Fantastic Bye-bye. that that yeah, that's coming
0: back to me now in terms of it's kind of the long way around to Italy, isn't it, to get to your friend's yeah. wedding. Yeah. So, after the friend's wedding in Italy, was that in 2018 as well?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, so after that wedding, did you then have a a plan in your mind of where you wanted to set off to next?
1: Yeah, I've been trying to, I've been trying to cycle to Turkey, to Istanbul for 3 years now. And <laughs> um, on that particular year in, in 2018, um, I had to go back to the UK to have a wisdom tooth removed. Um, so I had to abort my trip. In Well, not abort it, but I had to turn around my trip. When I got to the bottom of Italy, I had to then return to the UK, have this dental surgery. And then in 2019, I was going to cycle to Istanbul. And then another friend was getting married. So I did a circular route up around Scandinavia up to the North Cape and back down again. And so 2020 was my third attempt to cycle to Istanbul, which, of course, COVID thwarted. And probably part of the reason I didn't just quit and go home, because I was thinking like, no, this is three years. I've been trying to cycle to Istanbul. I am not quitting this again. So, uh, yeah, that was that was the plan back in 2018. I was cycling to Istanbul, as I am still doing. And it sounds like you need a friend who's going to have a wedding
0: in Istanbul. Then you'll definitely get there.
1: Yes, yes. In fact I had to even like sort of run through mentally run through a list of friends to see if anybody else was gonna jeopardise <laughs> my travel plans this year. And I got away well, I mean nobody got married, you know, in a in a big fashion in twenty twenty, so I got away with it. Fantastic. So you're you're still on your way to Istanbul. You're in
0: yes. North Macedonia, which if my geography yes. serves me correctly, is on the northern border of Greece.
1: Is that right? It is. It's it's bordered to, with uh, Greece to the south, Albania to the west, Kosovo and Serbia to the north, and Bulgaria to the east. Absolutely brilliant. Um, we've been following your
0: adventures in terms of how you've got to Macedonia. Um, on your YouTube channel, which has been brilliant amazing and scary at the same oh, time you. yeah <laughs> so you're yeah. currently stuck in macedonia because of uh, covid and travel restrictions yes. um and I, I hear the weather's not too great either is it winter winter has arrived
1: here yeah in about in the last week or so winter has properly dumped a lot of snow here and yeah some of the overnight temperatures are about minus 10 which i'm not set up for at all no that isn't
0: good is it for us um kind of fair weather brits so mm.
1: where? Tell us a bit about where
0: you're actually living then. You know, is is someone putting you up? Are you in your tent?
1: No. Oh, thank goodness. No. Um, So initially this um, this was a a warm showers. host. (laughs) Thank goodness for warm showers. (laughs) Um, And it was just supposed to be a day or two, literally a day or two in, in a little village by the border with Bulgaria. And this whole thing started because Greece ex- Greece was in a lockdown. So I'd been sort of, you know, cycling around Macedonia so again, sort of like just waiting for Greece to open. And I arrived at this border village and then the news was that Greece was extending their lockdown by a week. So I stayed a week and then they extended it another week. So I stayed another week. And then I think they extended it three weeks. And then it was Christmas. And then um, and then I was then I took a Covid test so that I could go to Bulgaria for Christmas. And then I tested positive for Covid. So then I was isolating, of course, and then I was waiting on an ATM card to be sent to me because my card expired. So that was on the way from Australia. And now I've just discovered that post from Australia to Macedonia has been suspended. So the ATM card that they've sent me was never going to arrive. So that was the thing I was waiting on that's gone away now. And now I'm just waiting on the snow. But there's there's no COVID restrictions here. It's so strange when I talk to people, you know, in the UK, because here everybody's walking around in groups i mean the rules exist but people aren't following them there's there's people walking around in groups after curfew no masks so I, I can travel wherever i want within the country i'm i'm not necessarily trapped i'm just sort of waiting biding my time for the snow to go
0: yeah and how how is macedonian life in general is it much different to life in the uk
1: or australia yes um, yeah it is i've i've been it's been really really fortunate that I've been able to sort of yeah so to answer your previous question I was in this little village in Drajevo and then it was deemed it was like an empty house with a, with a fireplace and then it was deemed to be too cold there was another cold snap um about a month ago so then I was brought to the family's main residence in the city which is where I am ensconced now um and yeah they've completely embraced me so I've been I've been um eating home-cooked food and you know helping prepare home-cooked foods and learning the language and just watching how Macedonians live their life and um, it's it's been fantastic to live in a in an Eastern European Balkan country. It, it sounds like the the hospitality has been
0: fantastic there and is, is that kind of what you've experienced in the main as you've been traveling on your bike?
1: Yeah Yes, I, th- I think one of the one of the major factors that holds a lot of people back from traveling is they think that the world is like a scary place and that people are awful. But my experience has been that people are phenomenal and will go out of their way to, you know, to help you if you're in need. So I've had, you know, between, you know, strangers offering me a place to stay that's happened in, in Australia and Italy and Croatia um, cycling through the desert you know cars would pull over and hand me you know ice cold soft drinks from their from their you know fridge little mini fridge or you know one lorry stopped up the road from me a couple of kilometers away and and I thought I was going to have a conversation I didn't always have a conversation every day in the desert but he drove off and I was so disappointed and then I arrived and you know where he'd been he'd left me four bottles of water and just without he didn't even you know stop and you know for to receive a thank you from me or anything so just people uh just go out of their way to be kind i think people people enjoy knowing that they've helped you i think and it's just it's the best way to travel through a country because if if we don't meet people through like the main the main method obviously for me is warm showers but it also these these sort of spontaneous meetings if we don't meet people when we're cycling or traveling through a country then we're just sort of transiting and taking you know taking photos but have a very superficial experience of the country but by meeting people and spending time, then, you know, I've I've got a much better handle on what Macedonian life might be like.
0: Yeah, I think those, um, the kindness of stranger stories are, are really powerful because I know, you know, from what you said already, people might be put off, um, you know, living a lifestyle, cycling through different countries and, and traveling in the way that you've done because of the fear of the unknown, the fear of, you know, not knowing the language, not knowing the culture, not being able to converse with people. But from what you're saying, it sounds like that's kind of been the opposite.
1: Yeah, for me, that's that's the thing that I enjoy. I mean, obviously, it's important to be careful and to try to avoid dangerous situations. But for me, people have just shown me overwhelming kindness. Just especially, there's not a lot of warm showers hosts in the um, in the Balkans. But on the other hand just walking down the street people will call out and ask you like where are you from come and have a coffee so people are, are sort of welcoming in a, in a different way here.
0: And how do you keep yourself safe do you, do you think you've um, kind of re- relaxed I guess in terms of you know from when you first started out traveling and, and had all those initial fears do you feel like you've relaxed but do you feel like you've also got you know those
1: sixth sense that
0: you still need to kind of keep yourself safe in different situations?
1: I think probably I've relaxed a little bit too much and have become a bit laissez-faire about it. Um certainly in Scandinavia last year, you really you didn't need to worry. You could just you could legally drop your tent anywhere. You were almost 100% guaranteed to be safe. And so I think maybe like I I I need to revise my um my caution levels a little bit now. Um, I try to arrive and find a campsite while it's still light so I and because then you know that gives me time that if the place that I'm aiming for isn't what I thought it was going to be I still have daylight to continue on to another place but there's been a couple of times um, in this trip last year where I've you know I've been skirting too close to dusk and and so I've had to make a decision to camp somewhere that wasn't ideal and and so that's left me feeling not completely safe so I need to work on Giving myself more time to, you know, and cycling less so that I can arrive earlier to make sure that I'm somewhere safe and I can feel safe and be safe. Sure, and and there are a couple of
0: instances that you've um, recorded on your YouTube channel, which I, I won't mention them because I think I'd I'd love for people to go in and view them themselves. In terms <laughs> yes. of um, two in particular that I can think of, which. Kind of set my heart racing a little bit, um, and my mum's. <laughs> <laughs> Your poor family. <laughs> yeah, but you know that, and that this isn't to put people off living a lifestyle, you know, on a bike, um, cycling to all these different countries. But you know, there are risks in every part of life, aren't there? But
1: um, yes, yeah. exactly
0: right. Yeah, uh, just in terms of some of the the people you've met and places that you've stayed in different countries. Can you think of some of the most memorable experiences that you've had so far?
1: It's, yeah, I mean, immediately, like Warm Shower's hosts, for reasons I've explained, you know, spring immediately to mind. I've, I've, you know, been able to go for kayaking trips with a host or, you know, use their floating sauna in the middle of a lake or the sauna in their home or I had a host in the Champagne region of France and um, I spent a day there and he taught me how to separate the vines and then we drank vintage champagne in his wine cellar. These are, I mean, these are experiences that people, you know, as a holiday, if you were booking that as a package holiday, then you'd be paying an absolute fortune for. And then these warm showers hosts, like just give you, you know, invite you into their life and give you this little glimpse of what, you know, in this case, like Scandinavian or French life looks like for a day or two. So yeah, that's, there they've been absolute highlights for me is warm showers experiences brilliant and i think what i'll do is i'll share the
0: link to warm showers um in our show notes to kind of spread the word to other people as well that are thinking of um yes. cycle touring It's a fantastic yes. resource of people what about the the countries that you've passed through do you know how many countries you've visited to date and have any of them been a, a real surprise to you kind of exceeded your expectations it's
1: it's, uh, I, I looked this up, it's 70-something, depending on how you count it. And um, have there any of them been a surprise to me? Um, well, Macedonia, really, because it wasn't, Macedonia was not on my itinerary. So I landed in the country from Albania. I'd been supposed to go from Albania to Greece, which, of course, didn't happen. Um, so I landed in Macedonia with absolutely sort of no concept of what the country is all about at all so everything everything I know about Macedonia is as as it's something I've learned in the last couple of months so that's been a big surprise um but otherwise no because I plan I plan so meticulously I always have a fairly solid idea of where I'm going and what I'm going to do there so
0: Macedonia has been the biggest surprise that's lovely and um I remember some of your videos from Albania as well some of the some of the villages and towns you passed through and some of the places you stayed which are visually just absolutely stunning mm. um and kind of you know kind of exceeded my expectations of those countries that I've never traveled to before never seen before um you know they they really opened my eyes to where you were
1: actually Albania was a real highlight and again that's another country where I remember watching a tv show like 20 years ago And I just remember seeing on this TV show that there was this country that had these strange bunkers all over it. And for a long time, I couldn't remember if that was Albania or Armenia. And then I got there and I was like, oh, that's right. This is the country with the bunkers. And then just during the the few weeks that I was in Albania, there was so much feedback on my social media of people saying, wow, you really opened my eyes to Albania. I had no idea. And so I think Albania is this just fantastic place that's just not on people's radar. But it's, I had the most fantastic, fantastic time there. And again, yeah, you're right. I didn't have a lot of idea of what Albania was all about at all. I think I thought it was part of Yugoslavia. And then now, obviously, I know different.
0: And some of the foods that you've um, tried as well, would would you normally be open to trying new foods or are you a bit cautious? Or have, has that kind of
1: changed since you started travelling in this way? I I do I do try. I do always try, but I'm also a little bit squeamish. But um you might be alluding to me eating some sparrow in the last couple of weeks. (laughs) But um I do, yeah, I do I mean, obviously when when you're a guest in somebody's house and they excitedly offer you something, it's very, very, very important that you do your absolute best to eat it. And actually the sparrow is quite nice. Tastes like chicken, just really, really, really small. I actually hadn't come across that but thanks for sharing <laughs> <Well done. laughs>
0: as I look out into the garden and see the little sparrows oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I won't tell them
1: <laughs> no top
0: oh, absolutely um when you set off on your Australia um you know round Australia trip you mentioned you had a really fancy bike what happened to that bike have you still got it or is it
1: kind of died a death and you've got something else now no i still have the same bike um i had a bit of a problem with the frame and my fantastic bike company expressed to me a new frame which is um carbon bell drive compatible so i'm very excited when i get to the next roll-off approved um bike shop which will either be in athens or istanbul depending um then i'm going to get it converted from a chain drive to a belt drive which is perhaps the only regret i had in choosing this bike is it was available in belt drive but five years ago I think I thought that was too too new and fandangled, um, but perhaps I did regret not getting the bell drive. So I'm excited to change that. Um, but otherwise, it's basically the same. I've still got the same seat, 50,000 kilometers later, same roll off hub. I've had to recently, um, I've had to change the front hub that that expired after about 48,000 kilometers. But otherwise, it's um it's a beast. And what about the equipment that you carry? Do
0: you find that you've kind of refined your kit and equipment down from when you first started long distance cycling or have you kind of stuck to the thing? You have. Like
1: like everybody, like every single bicycle tourer ever, I took too much. And so um, I do travel with a little bit less now. Um, But yeah, I mean, it depends on, it depends obviously where you are. In Australia, I had to have an entire pannier, you know, one of the big rear panniers absolutely full of food because I'd be like two weeks from a supermarket, um, and then I'd have to, you know, in the desert I'd have to carry I think upwards of 20 liters of water at times. But I didn't have to have a tremendous amount of warm clothes, whereas in Europe I need to have a lot more warm clothes, and I don't need to carry nearly so much food because there's, you know, there's a shop every 10 kilometers.
0: Yeah, I I can relate to, um, you know, packing the kitchen sink originally and then deciding that's not essential.
1: yeah yeah
0: so you're 50,000 kilometers down the road pretty much from when you first started which is an insane amount of distance
1: um surely there must be plans to write a book about your adventures oh people (laughs) you would think so you would think so and you're not the first to say but but I have to face the reality that I spent lockdown in March for seven weeks not writing a book I've spent two months in Macedonia not writing a book. So I have to admit that probably I've had the opportunity and I haven't taken it. So, but I have a title. I have a title if in the event that I ever do write a book. Ooh, are you able I'll to start, share yeah. or is it secret? No. secret <laughs> yeah, highly confidential. Okay, but that's the well, first step, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because then <laughs> from there, you start to visualize what you're going to add, what you're going to say. Yeah. Well, I'm, I hopefully it'll happen at some point. Um you mentioned uh, originally when we first started talking about kind of travelling for a year working for a couple of years is that kind of how you still tend to finance your travels
1: it's um it's the the simple version is that i have half the the flat that i bought in sydney is is half owned between me and my ex and basically the rent money that i receive from that once the mortgage is paid the rent money i receive from that is effectively 100 australian dollars a week and that's enough for me to bicycle tour on Ah, oh, fantastic so that's
0: where the hundred dollars a week comes from yeah exactly yeah brilliant and and that i think from calculations i did uh, yesterday that's about 55 pounds and 90 pence uk money yeah. a week do you give uh, in terms of budgeting then with that amount of money is that something you got used to really quickly
1: um did I get used to it quickly yeah Yeah. I I started it I started living in this budget I've been doing it for like five or six years now before the Australia trip because I was practicing to see you know even as I was you know working that year just to see what living on a hundred dollars a week would look like and um yeah it was fine and then you know throughout my bike trips even in like expensive places like Scandinavia um yeah so I've I've been living this sort of hundred dollar a week routine for five or six years now.
0: Absolutely brilliant. And I think that will probably give some confidence to people who are thinking of maybe taking a big leap of faith and, you know, setting off either with a backpack or, you know, in a campervan van or a bike to go off and do something different that you can live um, on on a really tight budget and have some absolutely yeah, amazing sure. experiences. Uh, yeah, for sure. And like you've already mentioned, you know, some of the experiences that you've had, if you had to pay for them um you know through a travel agent it's just incredible the amount of money that you actually save Mm -hmm. have you met many other people on the road who you found are living a similar life to you in terms of you know cycling nomad or backpackers
1: or there's a couple of a couple of people spring to mind that I've met like you know really long-term bicycle hobos not sort of like you know a year or two of cycling and then you know going home again and um yeah, I do. I'm not going to name any names, but when I've met them, I have kind of questioned Am I like this? Is this, <laughs> is this? Am I the same as these people? And I think, No, 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 I'm a lot more normal than these people. But then, you know, when you look around you and you think everybody's crazy, and then you realize, Well, if everybody around you and everybody that's doing the same thing as you is crazy, then maybe you have to acknowledge that maybe you are a little bit too. But I think, I know that they exist, I know that long term cyclists exist. I see them on Instagram I just haven't sort of run into many in in real life I guess there's not there's not a tremendous amount of people that are living permanently on a bicycle
0: yeah and and do you think that it's do you think there's a bit of a gender split as well in terms of people that do live live life on the road do do you think there's more men
1: doing it than women yeah definitely when I when I think about the cyclists that I meet in real life and the cyclists i see on instagram it's largely couples and solo men there's i mean there are solo female cyclists but that's certainly not the main the main demographic yeah okay um well
0: you are certainly living life differently which is the epitome of of this podcast um
1: what what do you love most about the life that you lead it's just the freedom the the freedom to sort of i mean covid restrictions aside the freedom to, to on a just in a, in the course of a day, do exactly what I want to do, go exactly where I want to go. I don't have to answer to a boss, or I don't have to, you know, be back to pick the kids up from school. I, you know, I'm completely free to to go wherever and and do whatever. And I like and the exercise that it gives me, and it means that I can eat loads, which I like doing <laughs> as well. So it it just appeals on on all those levels. And in terms of, obviously, fingers crossed that you get
0: to Istanbul and, you know, you can, we'll all be celebrating that point when you get there, have to, have <laughs> yeah. it, trying to get there for the last three years. Yeah. So what happens after Istanbul? What are your longer term plans for more travelling other countries, other continents?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's by no means the end of the trip. Um, ideally, I would continue on through Iran, but they've suspended their tourist visa programme during Covid. So I might have to let that one go. Um, I might return back towards the greece direction um they're due to open up to tourism i read in june failing that there's um there's no passenger ships in that part of the mediterranean to get me to africa which is where i'm going so i might have to get on a plane um perhaps from istanbul to tel aviv and then my trip will continue around africa absolutely fantastic and it's africa is there a plan for after after, after Africa? <laughs> um, I mean, a loose plan. Anybody that knows me will know that I have a plan, but also my plans change every couple of weeks. But um, the current plan is to cycle around Africa, which I, I would estimate would be at least two or three years. And then from there, I suppose, I would probably cycle through Central Asia and Southeast Asia towards Australia. Absolutely brilliant. So the lifestyle that you're in, can you see that continuing for some time
0: is, it, is yeah. it something you'll still be
1: doing in your 70s <laughs> I see, when people ask me this I you know sometimes it's worded along the lines of like but don't you want to settle down and the no the answer is I I can't envisage right now ever wanting to not live this life at the same time I acknowledge there'll probably become a time where my body isn't capable or I lose motivation but I cannot I cannot imagine that scenario right now I accept that it might happen, but I can't imagine it in the near future.
0: And I guess, you know, right now and maybe in five years time and 10 years time, it will still be sustainable in terms of financially sustainable, physically, mentally sustainable. So I think so. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. What advice would you give to other women who are thinking about um, hitting the road on their bikes, either to do their first long distance bike ride or to live a
1: more kind of hobo nomadic bicycle lifestyle? I think, I mean, my advice is just to do it. Um, it's not, you know, we don't need to train as much as we think. You know, we get bike fitness as we go. Maybe maybe don't start off with a nine-month trip around, you know, Australian deserts. But, I mean, this year, if if the news that I'm hearing out of the UK is correct, that, you know, perhaps there won't be a lot of foreign holidays happening and that we'll be encouraged to, you know, to, to travel within our own country, then perhaps this is the best year to to go on some, you know, sort of mini or micro adventures around the UK, Um, you know, as a little, you know, a little test run for perhaps longer trips. I think the UK is a fantastic place to cycle. And um, yeah, that would be a great place to start.
0: Good advice, sound advice. And where can people follow your adventures? Where can they look you up and see what you've been up to?
1: Well, um, on Instagram, it's hells.on.wheels, one L in hells and then on Facebook and YouTube it's Hells on Wheels.
0: Okay fantastic we'll put those links in the show notes but for now um, 50,000 kilometers later holed up in North Macedonia in the middle of a global (laughs) pandemic so grateful for you um, for talking to us today Helen and um, we wish you well and we look forward to to
1: when you get to Istanbul. Thank you so much I will have a drink for you that day.
0: (laughs) Brilliant all the best. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that Helen has inspired you to dust off your bike or your backpack for a big adventure or maybe a complete change in lifestyle. We've shared Helen's social media pages and YouTube channel in the show notes. So feel free to reach out and say hi. What did you like most about this episode, Ali? I think for me, the weekly budget was really fascinating. The fact that she's travelling and living on just £56 a week, which is about £224 a month. I think that helps to see how living life differently on a bike is maybe more affordable than you might think. I've got to be honest, I loved the bit where she talked about her parents bringing her up to have roots and wings. As a new parent, I'd love to raise Ollie with a similar passion for travel and adventure. Definitely. Right then, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd be really grateful if you could share it with friends and family so that we can reach more people with these amazing stories. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. You can also follow our own adventures by connecting with our website and social media channels. Links are in the show notes. That's it for now then. Look forward to connecting with you on the next show. So until then, take care and stay safe.